Welcome back, everybody, to the Card Chronicle podcast. This is Friday, September 30th. Happy almost October to you. Uh, Mike Rutherford here in Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Sennard in, I'm assuming, Columbus, Ohio, because I haven't been told otherwise, but I never really know. Uh, We're going to talk today about the football team beating South Florida last week, taking on Boston College this week, what the pulse of the fan base is, if anything has changed. Also, hoops news, uh, not great on the DJ Wagner front. We'll get to that. Uh, the Kenny Payne, the climate of the fan base with regards to to, to you know, KP's offseason, all that good stuff. Before we do any of that, I say hi to Dan. Uh, how are you? Are you in Columbus, Dan? Yeah, I am in Columbus. So um, actually, the like weekends have have kind of died down. Where it, Cam is in soccer season, so a lot of soccer coming up here on the weekends. Um, but yeah, moving in October. I would put October as top two power rankings months. Um, it's up there. Like, it's it's great. So the weather is, you know, pristine right now. Um, you got sports all over the place. Basketball getting ready to start. Football is hitting its stride in both college and NFL. So, yeah, uh, I am, uh, I'm looking forward to the month coming up here. Now, would you like to address some controversy right off the bat, some some controversy from the last couple of episodes? Because it has been brought to my attention on multiple fronts, both Twitter and on the uh, the Thornton's text line for the radio show, that you pretty much told the same story for Dan in the Dumps the last two weeks. And my response was, one was you kind of laying out what was going to happen at Cam's birthday party with the golf clubs oh, and the right. golf holes. And the second was kind of you telling the story of how it happened. But there are people who are trying to say that you told the same story for two weeks in a row for Dan the Dumps. Well, here's the deal. Old Dan's <laughs> memory is quickly fading. Like, I was, like, sometimes, I mean, you know this, before we hop on, I'm like, have I told this story before? Like, I'm literally <laughs> turning into my dad, like, before my very eyes. Like, I like nowadays, I just let my dad, and like, pretty much, like, ramble on with, like, the you know, the same story for the 10th time. So I ask our listeners if I go on like the same, I'm like, today's day of the dumps. Let's talk about the birthday. Just, uh, <laughs> just don't say anything. But yeah, I, uh, I, I guess I changed it up a little bit, but yeah, that's my, my apologies there. It's fine. When you were starting to tell it, I was like, well, this is going to be a little bit different than you're like, so we decided to have golf holes. I was like, okay, it's, it's pr- pretty much the same, but that's fine. What are you going to do? Okay. Now, now, yeah. I mean, I promise I wasn't trying to mail it in folks. It's like, let me, I have like a, just a drawer full of stories. I guess I'll get the old birthday golf club stories out. It's like, I actually used that last week. It just happened. Um, uh, let's talk about uh, Roller Coaster Scott doing his Roller Coaster Scott thing. Let me start off by saying this because I, I can so rarely say this on the podcast or really any form of uh, <laughs> where I work. Um, I told you this was going to happen. I, I told you Louisville was going to blow out South Florida. I told you it was going to be – they're going to cover the spread. They're going to look great. And it's the like, most annoying thing that the team could do. You might say, well, the most annoying thing the team could do would be lose to South Florida at home as a two-touchdown underdog. Oh, no, no, no. If you lose to South Florida at home as a two-touchdown underdog, you give the fan base clarity. Like, there's no longer anybody holding out hope. There's no longer anybody who's like, yeah, this team could still have a good season. Everybody's fucking done. Like, everybody's off the bandwagon, and we're all on the same page. Beating South Florida this badly, it has at least people being like, okay, you know, maybe. We'll see what happens. We are barreling hurtling through space uncontrollably towards a 6-6 six and six season. It's exactly what's going to happen. You knew 
this was our destiny all the, the entire year because this is Scott's got to be right there in the middle. It can't there can't be any clarity one way or the other. It's got to be as awkward as possible. That's what's going to happen. But Louisville comes out last weekend. They beat the absolute crap out of South Florida, forty-one to three. It's never really a contest. I have no idea how that USF team that we saw uh, last Saturday afternoon almost beat Florida the week before because Florida, you know. Everyone's like, well, Florida must be terrible. They, they played with Tennessee for a little bit. They didn't get destroyed by Kentucky. They're certainly not as good as we thought they were after they beat Utah. But that's not a team that South Florida should have been a field goal away from taking to overtime. Uh, Louisville runs all over them. The defense doesn't allow USF to do anything. Um, they turn South Florida over three times. Only turn the ball over once themselves. It's my favorite stat in the world is we are 15-2 and two under Satterfield when winning the turnover battle and 2-16 and 16 when losing it. It's a pretty damning stat one way or the other. So we win the turnover battle. Malik kills USF with his legs. Doesn't really kill them with his arm, but doesn't have to. It was just a, a totally dominant effort. And I don't think it really changed much in terms of like the fan base, the way they view the season, the way they view the state of the program. It was just kind of like a, it, it set the table for a potential bringing people back on board, a potential saving of the season. But Beating that team by 38 points did nothing in and of itself, I think, to rectify the to right the wrongs of the FSU game or certainly the Syracuse game. At least that's where I am. That's what I'm thinking. What are you thinking, Dan? Yeah, it's it's not fair to the guys on the team um, to like belittle a win, especially one that they sure. absolutely dominated. Um, I mean, they prepared, they came out, they showed energy, and obviously, you know, played a great game on both sides of the ball. So. I mean, winning's – I, I literally sound like a coach right now. I'm like, win is hard. I mean, it is. It's hard. <laughs> um, but you know what? Like, I, I applaud them for coming out and showing that energy. But as you said, as far as outlook for the – you know, changing outlook for the season, I, I just – I can't fall for this again. Like, I'm not going to do it. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm – I'm just not going to get my hopes up. Like I'm still looking forward to watching each and every game. Um, I'm hoping that we bring that energy and, and kind of bring that execution and um, clean play to, you know, our next couple games and we can reel off a couple wins in a row here. But, you know, I just, in the four years that Scott's been here, it's, we've, we've just, we've seen it too many times. As soon as you, you know, put your foot in the water there, um, you know, just to test it out, it, it seems like you always get pushed in um, when you're not expecting it. I don't. That was the worst analogy. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I started saying it. I was like, I don't really know where I'm going. I was very curious where I was going. I was like, it's ice cold. A shark's gonna get you. I was very curious to hear how that ended. Man. I thought you. I thought you. I'll be honest. I thought you kind of pulled it together. Yeah. You kind of tied it all together. Well, anyways. Um, but, <laughs> no. Long story short. Uh, very. I am excited about the win. I, I shouldn't say very excited. I'm excited about the win. Um, I was excited for the most part how we played. I'm sure we'll touch on a couple things about the game. But uh, as far as outlook for the season, I'm right there with you. It seems like we're barreling towards six and six. I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know what games you know are, are going to let me down or, or bring me up. But it sure seems like we're headed that way. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I shouldn't just – I'm not trying to just 
poo-poo a, a, a 38-point win. Certainly the team deserves credit for going out there. And you know you can't even say like doing what they were supposed to. They, they were 14-point favorites. They won by 38. They right. dominated every facet of the game. They played really well. They, they deserve to be celebrated at the beginning of the week. But I'm just saying, like, bigger picture, I, I think the I've, – I've heard the Duke game from last year brought up so many times this week, and it's it's exactly the point that I think we're trying to make here, which is the fan base has been so scarred by this the ups and the downs of the last couple of years that they're not going to fully buy back in until you string together a few, you know, more wins than just a 38-point beatdown of what looked to be a bad team. I mean, we haven't – I didn't realize this until somebody brought it up uh, this week – we have not won three consecutive games under Scott Satterfield against FBS teams. We had one three-game win streak, I think, to start 2019, and that was or in the middle of 2019, and that included a win over EKU. So if we do, you know, knock off Boston College on Saturday and then take out Virginia a week from now on the road, it'll be the first three-game FBS winning streak that we've had under Satterfield. Like we have just not strung together wins. We've not had momentum, and I think the Duke game was especially fresh in everybody's minds because. You know, you beat Duke just so thoroughly, and Malik looks so good, and the defense plays well, and you're like, okay, we're all of a sudden we're a three point favorite over Kentucky, and that Duke win was coming on the heels of a, uh, I think, a, what the thirty forty one to three win over Syracuse. So we're all like, we maybe we may have something here. We we got something for UK. We're favorites in Vegas. Let's go, and we lose by seventy five points, and then we turn around and give up five hundred passing yards to Air Force, who had thrown the ball like twice in the, in the two games before that. And that stuck with people, and I think it should stick with people. We, we People are tired of being fooled um, with results like this. It, it seems like kind of stat-padding games that makes the team look better overall than they probably are, but you also have to give credit for them. The defense was fantastic. They didn't let um, Jerry Bahanna do anything through the air. They South Florida Barton, it's backup. He had no more success. And USF had been a successful running attack, and Louisville let them get nothing on the ground. Like, Yaya Diaby was fantastic. The linebackers played um, much better than they had in recent weeks. I, I thought that you, you you had Kendrick Duncan missing a wide-open tackle on the first drive, and everybody's kind of like, here we go again. Yeah. And he steps up and plays better after that, uh, even though uh, you know, Chucky, um, what's his name? Charles, whatever, the Arbuckle, the announcer, called him uh, Kenderick Duncan and then called Yaya Diaby Yee Diaby at the beginning of the game. I'm like, my man had no time to glance at his pronunciation, guy. You know what, um, though? The, like... The, the Scott wheelhouse is like the noon home game on a Saturday. Like oh, he loves he, it. He, he's like the Kirk Cousins of college football coaching. Like <laughs> I, I would a hundred percent. Like if we put all our game, and I know like the fan base say like like the prime time. The re- like that's not Scott's sweet spot. He likes you know kind of hey like other teams waking up a little bit, crowds maybe a little half full. That's when Scott is full bore. So if we want to go ahead and put our games like at noon. Especially, I mean, all our home games at noon the rest of the season. I'm totally fine with that. I really think um, I, in Scott's tenure, that's where he's he's kind of excelled. Scott Noonerfield? <laughs> Regional Scott Network? Uh, Regional Scott, no, I like that one. That one's actually good. That could stick. We are, I mean, we, to, you know, if, that, if there is something to that, we have three straight noon games here, uh, if you cap the USF game. We're noon tomorrow against Boston College. We're noon next week against Virginia. Uh, we'll see. I, I would assume that the the pit game is not going to be a noon game, but y- you never know. So we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, I these think next I, I do. Weeks. I mean, again, it's got to be a home game. Like the road games, I don't think it really matters. But the home noon 
kind of sleepy games. That's uh, Sleepy Scott. That's what we'll call him. You know, we actually have, like, when we were playing our best against Kentucky, it was when we were playing early. Like, remember, like, because it's Thanksgiving weekend, you're never going to have the, like, national spotlight because the other big robbery games are that weekend. Michigan, Ohio State, and Clemson, South Carolina, and all these teams are playing big-time games. So we had, like, when we originally moved to that weekend, we played, like, at 11.30. We played at noon. We had, like, early afternoon games. Right. And the last three years, we've had, like, these primetime kickoffs on ACC Network or SEC Network, and we've just gotten our shit handed to us. Move that game back to noon. Like, yeah. we, we need to do what UK would do when they were, you know, when they were getting their ass kicked, and they're like, we're going to play it in the third week of September. We need to start demanding that we play it at 12.30 again. Let's, let's yeah. make that a I'm, thing. I'm on board with that for sure. So – Louisville, the only, I think, nitpicky thing that you can say about this game is Malik Cunningham had some guys pretty open on deep shots and just did not connect on them. He overthrew Amari Huggins-Bruce once. He overthrew somebody else once. He almost overthrew Jalen Carter on the only touchdown pass that he threw. Yeah, what a Carter, catch. That was great. Carter made a yeah, hell of a catch. It was awesome to see have him have his moment. That was his first catch as a Cardinal. Um, transferred in a few years ago. Had been a red shirt and then just got a scholarship before the start of this year. Also dropped a wide-open pass a few a few uh, quarters later, but that's okay. Uh, he had the big catch, one of the best catches of the week. But Malik, I, I, I'm not breaking any new ground here. If Louisville is going to have a 7-5 and five type season, even a 6-6 six and six type season at this point, we've got to be better at the pass game. He missed some wide-open guys. There still seems to be timing issues. I don't know if it's a lack of relationship with his new receiving core or if he's you know just trying to get the ball out of his hands too quickly but the passing game still is not crisp right now and it's going to have to be better because teams are going to start keying on Malik uh with, with his legs and they're not going to let him do what he's been doing to Florida State and USF these last couple of weeks no you're right and it was nice to see uh Scott pretty much admit that like the game one week playing against Syracuse like was his doing and you yeah. know he he pretty much kind of took the the legs out of uh, Malik that game but yeah I mean I'm, I'm right there with you like we're just gonna have to pray that Malik just has uh, you know in one of these big time games like a really hot game throwing the ball because I unfortunately and I love Malik I think he's I mean we all know he's one of the most dangerous QBs out there especially with his legs and I mean he can't throw the ball and he's been accurate but the consistency, I mean, I think we have enough evidence here over the last couple years that the consistency, especially for the deep ball, is just not there. And if you want to beat good teams, I mean, you're going to have to hit on those routes. Um, you know, the, we're not going to get a ton of good looks or open looks against good teams. So, you know, if you have one or two opportunities, you have to take advantage of that. So I, I do think it's a bit of a concern moving forward. Um, but again, you know, it is nice that the, it seems that the coaching staff is saying, Hey, you know, we know what his best weapon is. We, it's probably his legs. And I'm, I, that's not a shot at Malik at all. I, um, you know, like I said, he can still throw the ball, but, um, it, it's nice that we're probably going to revolve the game plan more around that. But like you said, if, if teams do start keying on that, uh, that's where we might have a little bit of an issue. I did like that Satterfield came out on, I guess it was Tuesday, and said, you know, the game one against Syracuse, that's on me. Um, and I like even more, and we're, we've been hard on Satterfield, I think deservedly so, like like most Louisville fans. I think you do have to give him credit for not 
trying to, to, to fit a square peg into a round hole when it came to like this revamped offense that he was trying to make happen. He, I mean, really quickly, like after the Syracuse game happens, we go right back to like design runs for Malik against UCF. And we probably win the game because we did that. Uh-huh. If he had been so stubborn to stick with that and say, you know, we got to keep this guy healthy for the entire year. We're going to do traditional run game with Ty and Evans and company out of the backfield. And then Malik's going to be a pocket passer. He'll run occasionally, but we're going to, you know, maybe just two or three design runs a game. I think we'd probably be sitting here at like, you know, one and three and staring down a even more desperate looking season than, than we already are. So I give him props for, for seeing that it wasn't working and changing things quickly and saying we got to do what we got to do because the offense has been much better the last three weeks. And, and certainly it was fantastic against USF. Now you go up against a Boston College team that Malik has, like, like so many teams in the ACC, has been pretty much our entire offense against BC in recent years. I think I saw Keith Wynn put out the stat that the last two years we've had something like 970 yards of total offense against BC and Malik has accounted for 699 yards of that himself. So Jeff Halfley is, is going to try to make sure that Malik can't beat them with his feet. He's going to try to make sure that he can beat with his arm. Easier said than done, for sure. But that's I think that's the mentality, that's the mindset that you're going to have from defensive coordinators across the conference for the rest of the season because you know he, he's going to have to prove it with his arm at some point this year, and he hasn't done a great job of the edge. He's, he's shown flashes. He was good for three quarters against FSU. He, he made some good throws last week against USF, but that – that part of the offense has to get much better. And part of that's on the receivers too. You, you got to get more separation. You got to make some explosive plays. You got to make some guys miss and you, you got to, you got to catch balls when, when yeah. they're thrown your way too, which is an issue. hundred percent. And like, you know, it is, it was nice this week. I mean, we, we can always rely on the running game. Um, man, it, it, it is nice just having like a plethora of, backs that we can rotate in and out i mean it's like a time you've said plethora on the podcast <laughs> there we go this, um, that was like a 2020 staple of the show plethora <laughs> i can't even remember my dan in the dumps how the hell did you remember that oh my god um, it's something plethora is not gonna leave anytime soon it's gonna stick with you for a while let me ask you this uh okay this maybe isn't a fair question like but if you could rank our four running backs confidence-wise, like when they're in the game, what, how would you rank them? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think we're, we don't know what Jalen Mitchell's health status is. I think he's still a little bit dinged up, but he yeah. might be available on Saturday against BC. Um, Tyon ha- has fumbled twice now. I know. That's a concern. Trevion Cooley, I feel, you know, he had one missed exchange with Malik, and he always kind of feels like he's on the verge of fumbling. Jawar Jordan had one fumble in the the loss of Florida State that I think was still kind of a bullshit call. I think his forward progress was stopped, but whatever. Um, I mean, Cooley's been really good recently. He, he has looked. I like he, him catching the ball out of the backfield. I, he's definitely our best ca- like like pass catcher out of the backfield. I'm still going Tyon Evans number one. I, I still feel like he gives us the best overall chance, even though he hasn't been quite as good as I thought he was going to be probably through the first four weeks. I'll put I'll put Cooley at two. I'll put Jawar Jordan at three, and then we haven't really seen much of Jalen Mitchell. I know he's like he's a solid but not spectacular guy, but he looked good in the, the few carries that he got before getting hurt. So I feel it feels kind of unfair to put him at four. I mean, help Maurice Turner. Satterfield said he's going to get some more run now, and he looked good at the end of the game against USF. 
And if you didn't know, there's the story. Maurice Turner kind of went viral this offseason because he um, raced Tyreek Hill and was like step by yeah. step with him. And Tyreek Hill gave him some cleats. He's a super, super fast freshman. And he looked good at the end of the game uh, with our boy, pod favorite Brock Doman, throwing him the ball out of the backfield. So, I mean, you're probably going to see five running backs get carries for the rest of the year. But that's probably how I'd rank them right now. Man, I, that's that's a little different than mine. I don't know. I love watching Jawar Jordan run. Like, there's you're a big some, Jawar guy. I, I really am. Like, I, he kind of just brings like a physicality and an energy to him that I think kind of livens up the offense a little bit. Um, but he does. I mean, again, we know he had the fumble against Florida State, which you said was kind of bullshit. I get that. He does scare the hell out of me running. Like, as far as like. He seems like he is primed to like get the ball knocked loose because he's more worried about kind of delivering the blow. And maybe, I mean, again, I'm not a running back expert. Maybe he is like securing the ball correctly, but it does scare me a little bit when he's running. But I, I really like watching him. I'd probably put Ty on it too. And it's not a slight uh, Travion putting him three. I just don't think he has like the home run threat that the other two have. Um, but he, I, I would say that. Like we said, he's he's a very solid pass catcher, um, and I, I have all the confidence in the world when he's back there. And then, yeah, Mitchell, it's not really fair right now just because he's banged up. When you were, I'm sorry, when you were talking about like not being a running backs coach and like delivering the blow, all I could think of, and this is like mid episode, Dan in the dumps, was <laughs> you getting hurt freshman football at Trinity, <laughs> holding a tackling dummy and just getting trucked. No, who did I tell this story to the other day? I mean. If you would have seen this kid, I don't know what he's up to. My guy, Mark Wilson, this guy was an absolute, like, I'm not, I'm dead serious. Like, if he kept with football, this guy could have been, like, Antonio Gates. He was um, a beast. He was an absolute beast. I was not a beast. I was, like, a tall <laughs> glass of water that realized quickly that I I, uh, I just happened to be the product of a good offense at St. Patrick. <laughs> but, um, I uh, – yeah, I, by the end of the year, I was I was the defensive scout team holding the tackling W. I thought we were just doing walkthrough, and this guy absolutely <laughs> took me about 10 feet in the air. <laughs> and I just was like, you know what? I'm going to get my wrist wrapped up and just call it a season. Actually, a career. I quit football after that. Um, <laughs> not a running backs coach, folks. <laughs> not a running backs coach. So yeah, that was uh, we'll 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 make that my day on the dumps for the day. That was uh, that was quite the moment. I mean, I, I remember looking over because I was at that point. I I went back and forth from quarterback to to quarterback, and I was working with defense at that point. And I looked over at one point and just saw you. I mean, it was like a movie, like flying five feet through the, the air. The worst is like the coaches were like laughing. I was like, is it funny? Is it fucking funny? I'm dying over here. <laughs> Not a running backs coach, folks. Um, I tell you what, we'll make our Boston College predictions at the end of the episode and give kind of a quick synopsis on the BC game tomorrow. I do want to shift the conversation to basketball here. We haven't talked much about basketball since – returning from the summer break but there was some news this week that has I think reinvigorated a lively basketball discussion amongst the the UofL fans and that was we found out this week that DJ Wagner and uh, Aaron Bradshaw his teammate from up there at Camden were both going to take official visits to Big Blue Madness at UK on October 14th and that in and of itself is not was not great news for any Louisville fans still holding out hope that we may land one or both of these guys. But the follow up from Travis Graff of Rivals was the like, like sources are telling him 
that both guys, neither one of them are planning on taking a visit to Louisville. Like, not coming to Louisville live, not coming to Louisville, period. And it's, I don't think it's a gigantic shock because the last month and a half or so, all the writing on the wall has been for UK. There has been more than just murmurings the last six weeks or so that, like, Louisville was no longer recruiting DJ Wagner and not like one of those like, well, we don't think we need him type deals, but like we know he's going to go to Kentucky, so we need to invest our efforts otherwise. And it's it's certainly I feel like there's three segments of the fan base when it comes to this news. One, you've got fans that are still, I think, holding out hope that are like, you know, I'm not trusting this guy. I'm not trusting these sources. I'll believe it when I see it. I think he's still coming to Louisville. You've got a, a another segment of the fan base that is doing the whole we don't need him anyway. AJ Johnson's better. We could have a great recruiting class without him, and that's a normal fan thing to do. And then you've got a third segment of the fan base, which has been larger than I admittedly thought it was going to be, that is just kind of pissed at Kenny Payne and company. And I think that you're – I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I think you're well within your rights to be – I mean, hell, parts of all three of those fans, certainly the last two – I'm not going to get mad at anybody that is kind of upset with the way that this is all played out. Somebody laid it out perfectly talking to me about this yesterday. They're like, assuming DJ Wagner goes to Kentucky, like we're paying a staff member whose grandson is playing for UK. That seems a little bit weird. Like, you know, we hired Milt Wagner, not just to get his grandson, obviously, but that was kind of part of the deal. And you heard, I mean, from the second that Kenny Payne was rumored to be the front runner to, to land the head coaching job, you, I mean, you had people saying, Get pain, you're going to get DJ Wagner. Like that will move things along quickly. And now it seems like this was never even really much of a fight. It sounds to me, despite all the recruiting analysts who have gone back and forth and have been like, he's going to go to Louisville, he's going to go to Kentucky. It kind of sounds to me that the entire time he was just going to go to UK because I, I know Calipari people. People told me before we hired Kenny Payne that like people who are close to John Calipari, they were like, you can hire Kenny Payne, you can hire Milt Wagner. You can hire Dewan Wagner. You can hire the entire Wagner family. This kid's going to Kentucky. John Calipari is never this sure about stuff like this. He is 100% positive that he's going to get DJ Wagner. And that never changed. Like, I mean, Kyle Tucker has put it out there publicly and said, you know, even when everybody was changing their crystal ball predictions to Louisville, Calipari was like, no, he's going to, he's going to UK. Like, I know this firsthand. It's happening. Don't listen to anybody who's telling you otherwise. And it just kind of, it sucks that this didn't seem to be more of a battle than it than it wound up being because we all thought it was going to be when, when this whole thing started Penny. and now it's Penny is going to nuts. We got <laughs> we got to close that front door. Penny's, Penny's had herself a week. She's got a ruined nail. She's going nuts outside. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> She's ruining the DJ Wagner talk. Uh, but that's like, I, I get why people are upset, but I also don't think that people need to be completely jumping off the bandwagon of a guy who hasn't coached a game yet. Right. And, I mean, I think Kenny Payne, he might have said this exact quote in his press conference. I can't remember, like, something about, like, I'm not a miracle worker. When 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 John Calipari has that big of a head start on a legacy recruit, granted, yes, did we hire, you know, Milt Wagner? We did. And um, you would think maybe that would have some sort of impact. But, I mean, that is – such a large hill to climb to try to win that recruiting battle there when when you know cal has this long of a head start on you D- do our fans have the right to kind of be upset yeah i mean you would think we would at least get a visit maybe dj wagner you know out of respect just knowing that he's already made up his mind you know didn't want to quote unquote maybe tease the fan base by visiting louisville i have no idea 
Um, but you would think maybe a visit, uh, we could, we could at least land that, but I don't know. Like you said, like, it seems like all the tea leaves were there, um, that he was going to UK. I guess that's like the one reason, I mean, do I want him? Of course I want him. Uh, like, I'm, am I bitter? Yeah, I'm a little bitter, but I, I'm still in a wait and see mode to see who we land after this. I'm not going to like proclaim whoever we get to be like 100% better than DJ Wagner by any means. Um, but I, I, I do think it is a little unfair just because of the head start that John Calipari got in this recruitment and, you know, kind of the seeds that he and the foundation he laid for this recruitment. He's had a long time to work on this. And, you know, it's it's hard, even as close to someone as Kenny Payne as this family, just to come in and and kind of, you know, pull the rug out underneath from from Cal. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I'm of the belief, like, I guess I'm in a wait and see mode to see who we get before I get really upset. Uh, But it is going to suck seeing him in UK blue if that's, you know, truly the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the premonition a while ago. Like, I just envisioned this guy coming to the Yum Center in 2023, dropping, like, 35 on us, and then, like, dapping it up and laughing with our head coach and his grandpa after the game in the handshake line. And if that happens, I'm going to be pissed. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that a year and three months ahead of the actual game. If that happens, I'm, I'm going to be pissed. But I, I do think it's fair to be disappointed that, you know, you have Kenny Payne who has this long-existing relationship with the Wagner family, He's supposed to be this recruiting guru. You hire Milt Wagner on your staff, and you can't even get a, a, an official visit from DJ. That's kind of annoying. Like that's. I, I do you, like do that's... you think? Do you think a visit like would just be like, hey, this is kind of a first show because he could have already his mind made up. Sure. He's like, yeah, this is just kind of first show, but I'm I'm not going here. And then you kind of you really get the Louisville fan base in a tizzy. So. You know, I I don't know. It's when you're when you're not there. It's 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 really hard to tell. But um, yeah, like it just lately from like the visitors that we have coming to Louisville Live, and it seems like the guys that you know we've been finalists for and kind of the radar of some of the high profile guys. Like I I you know I was a little nervous about Kenny as far as recruiting and how this was going to go. And I'm not saying I'm still not nervous because we still have the IARP, which we'll get to that in a minute. But um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little better, even with this DJ Wagner news about the way recruiting is starting to trend. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we're, we're certainly making inroads on the 2024 class. I like the, the visitors we have coming to Louisville Live right now. Trenton Flowers just announced that he's going uh, to be there. Carter Bryant's going to be there. And then we have some uh, 2023 kids that we're still working on trying to get there. AJ Johnson apparently is going to be there, which is, I think, the new five-star from the current class that we have our, our site set on. It's like, I think the, the big issue to me with all this, and the reason why you're seeing some people that are, are very upset right now, and you can go back and check, I think, the podcast we did in April after Kenny Payne was hired. I said, you know, there are some people out there who are just kind of being like, we're back. You know, like Kenny Payne's going to get every player he wants. We're going to win games right off the bat. We're going to be like a Sweet 16 team in year one. And we're going to be competing for national championships like like really quickly. And I warned everybody against buying into that because I thought, you know, KP's got his work cut out for him with the 2022 class. He's not going to have time to recruit it. He's going to have some issues with the transfers because we don't know what's going to happen with the IRP. People can negatively recruit against us. And now I think you're seeing 
some fans who were just kind of who were sold this false bill of goods who were like you know we're going to get everybody we want we're going to get dj we're going to you know be great in year one they're kind of like well, what the hell and well it's let me all ask unfair you this. Who, who, who sold them the false bill of goods because that was just the fans basically declaring this themselves like kenny did not make that expectation no not at all press conference or anything like that so i, I don't think you can put that on kenny i think it's the, the i'm not I'm, I, I'm not putting it on kenny i'm saying i'm not i'm not putting it on kenny at all i'm saying like you know you had some you know influential fan accounts some like you know these facebook groups out there some radio shows that were just kind of saying all this well kenny Payne himself was out there saying you got to be patient with me like, like this is going to take some time and other people i think were just and, and look I'm not even bashing those people. Like, I, I think it was the raw mentality. I'm never going to tell you how to fan. I don't think that it was steeped in reality, though. And I get why fans are so desperate to, like, be back. Because we've never had a five-year stretch like this. We've never had a, you know, you and I were are, are the same age. We went from, like, sixth grade through senior year of high school without winning a game in the NCAA tournament but even then, like, we were at least making the NCAA tournament. We brought Rick Pitino in. We weren't dealing with any sort of, like, NCAA scandal. The last five years, we're missing the tournament. We haven't been since 2019. We haven't won a game since 2017. We haven't been to the second weekend since 2015. And we're dealing with, like, a different controversy, it feels like, every single week. It's been a very, very rough time to be a Louisville men's basketball fan. And I think the fans are so desperate for something positive to happen that reminds us of, you know, the times that we all grew up having that we're like, you know, we're telling ourselves, like, hiring this guy is going to be a quick fix, magic snap of a finger. We all want to believe that, even when it may not be steeped in reality. And I think that's why you've had so many people that are like, I thought we were going to get DJ. I thought we were going to get Bradshaw. I thought we were going to get this, this, and this, when the reality was it was never going to be quite that simple. Yeah, and I think, again, whether it's, like you said, influential accounts or influential Louisville personalities that kind of put the narrative out there that that we're back i think it's up to like each person on their own if they actually like truly believe that um this was like one i kind of stayed like pretty grounded on where i was like well i don't know i i i you know i don't know how they expect this guy to pull miracles like overnight with what we have hanging over our head um it doesn't make like these recruiting losses like you know, not sting as much. No, not at all. Like they, the, I hate Louisiana recruits and I, I, I can see, you know, why maybe we're losing some of these with the stuff that we do have hanging over our head. But, um, you know, if, if we had another coach in here and it wasn't Kenny Payne, I, I just can't see any coach besides like, I mean, geez, I, I, I shouldn't even throw a name out there like a Jay Wright or something like, like an absolute over the top coach. Like, be able to turn this around on like the you know the drop of a hat i think kenny's doing the best with what he can right now and at least for me you know do i am i going to judge him on recruiting yeah i'm going to judge him on recruiting but i'm i'm more going to judge him on product on the court on wins and losses on level of play on buy-in from the kids um and we haven't got to see any of that yet so uh for me the jury's still out. Um, I'm excited for the season to start still, even though I think we're going to be under man. Um, but I, I, I'm one of the guys that I feel like I didn't really put him, you know, on a pedestal and expect him to just, you know, take over the entire recruiting world when he got here.
Yeah, I mean, you know, of course the jury's still out. I mean, the guy hasn't coached a fucking game, and we keep forgetting this. Like, like yeah. everybody has these extreme takes where it's, you know, he's the best coach in the world or he's the worst coach in the world. We we have no idea. Like, we're right. all, the rest of us in the, somewhere in the middle are all just kind of still in wait and see. We have to evaluate what we can evaluate because it's what we do as fans. And we're looking at the recruiting class. We're looking at the roster assembly for the first year. But none of us really know what's going to happen. I, I know that the... You know, now you're getting more and more of these preview stuff that's coming out as we get closer to the season. And you're seeing, I know, like the the Rob Doster, Jeff Goodman, three-man weave. They came out with that big college basketball almanac. They've got Louisville number 13 out of 15 teams in the ACC, um, which is disappointing, certainly, to see stuff like that. CBS had a story this week about the, the biggest losers and, and winners of the offseason in college basketball. And they had us as the first biggest loser. So you're going to keep seeing stuff like this. And I think that there's... There are two ways that Kenny Payne can kind of quell and calm the fears of the fan base. One is really simple. Overachieve on the court this year. If you overachieve with this team, if you take this team to the NCAA tournament, then all of a sudden people stop caring about recruiting so much because they know you know, if you're getting Rick Pitino-type classes, you can get Rick Pitino-type results because you're that type of coach, right? The other way, if this season goes the way that like last year's did or the way that people think it's going to go nationally – the other way is you've got to land a big-time class with 2023. You've got Curtis Williams now. You've got Caleb Glenn. You're probably going to need A.J. Johnson in there if it's going to be a top 10, top 5-ish class. And then somebody else, maybe Isaiah Miranda. You know, he, I think the staff feels like they're in good position with him. That would be the type of class that people could point to and say, he's doing the most with what he's got right now. Help is on the way. We're going to be fine moving forward. And also look at what we've got with 2024. I think one of those two things has to happen, though, because if you – if you don't get it done on the court this year and you have a class that is fine but looks kind of like a Chris Mack class with maybe three, four-star players that are all sub-top 50 in, in the rankings for the 2023 class, then people are going to start to get a little bit concerned, and I think that will be justified at that point. Let, let me ask you this, okay? We've had three to four years of, like, Satterfield offseason. Like, you know, when it gets to, like, August – the fan base it seems like no matter what the past year result was we kind of start to buy in a little bit whether it's because of you know his press conferences whether it's because of like the offseason you know recruiting videos you know he he just seems to say hey this year's different we're going to be different this year and it it seems like we keep falling for it every single time um now Kenny Payne's opening press conference I mean he pretty much set like a very low expectation saying hey this is going to take time. You know, it, it's not going to be done overnight. You guys got to be patient with me. Um, so it seems like he goes about it where he's setting the bar very low, which I like. But just recently, which he hasn't done a whole lot of, he's kind of like, uh, you know, in quotes about the team, kind of, uh, I guess, put a star on some of these guys' names, saying like L. Ellis is totally bought into what it, it is to be a Louisville basketball player. He mm-hmm. seems to be very high on on Fabio, what he's done since he's come in. So do you think he actually is pleasantly surprised um, about maybe some of these guys? Or, or do you think this is just like, hey, you got to hype these kids up, like a little bit of coach speak? I think it's more coach speak. I, I, I can't I – I, I mean, I've got no idea firsthand because he – I mean, he also has said things like the other day, yesterday when they did the – I'm talking about Thursday, the Denny Crum Hall opening ceremony – he also like, had a quote where it was like, it's not really about the wins and the losses. It's about the kids like, you know, 
going on and doing great things afterward. And I was like, yeah, it's it's kind of about the wins and the losses at some point. Um, so I think he's, I missed, I missed I think that he's tempered quote, like sorry. that that yeah that that rhetoric is it plays well right now. It's not going to play if those losses start piling up uh, in in year one. But I think that he's. I mean, I've talked to three different people who attended that alumni practice that was, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago or so. And they all kind of, I mean, I, I hate to you know, just, I'm not trying to like just shit on this team or anything, but like they all said the same thing, which was like, I don't team did not look great. Um, I, maybe it was just a bad practice. Maybe it was, you know, they're still, today's their first official day of practice. So, you know, it was still technically summer stuff, but um I think that there are players that you feel confident about. I don't know if the full roster is like the quality of what we're used to seeing, but you just have to hope that some guys are going to surprise. You have to hope that LLS is going to be the real deal. You have to hope that Jalen Withers becomes the player we thought he could become last year. Um, Brandon Huntley Hatfield is like an NBA type guy. Kamari Lands is a all ACC first team freshman. Like you just have to hope all of those things happen. And then you know, we'll, we'll be pleasantly surprised. I'm willing to hold out hope. I, I'm willing to sit back and say, it doesn't look good on the surface compared to what we're used to seeing, what we expect to see, but we haven't seen this team play a game. We've been pleasantly surprised in these situations before. Let's hope we're pleasantly surprised this year, and that process starts November 9th with a 9 p.m. game against Bellarmine. Uh, I'm still uh, I'm still excited. Once we get here, I'm still going to be raring to go. Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm curious to see how it happens. Yeah, and, like, you know, I think it is nice having, like, a, a player, like a, a former player as Kenny Payne, I don't want to say like he's going to get a longer leash from the fan base because our fan base does. I mean, we expect a great product on the court, um, but I do hope our fan base is, is patient and not after like three games being like, Oh my God, like we're awful. This team sucks. Like we hired the wrong guy. Like I think we need to give this guy time to kind of build his foundation um, and, and do it the right way. So you know, no matter what happens, these first couple games, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be totally excited, but I'm not gonna like absolutely like throw in the towel and and you know shit on the team if if I can tell right off the bat that we're not gonna make the NCAA tournament um, here in year one. Like, do I expect more as a Louisville fan? Yeah, but this is a you know a, a pretty tough situation that Kenny Payne's walking into. So I hope the fan base, you know, does have the patience with him and the coaching staff that, you know, hey, if it's not this year, they're they're eventually going to get this turned around. Kenny, don't lose to Bellarmine. Yeah, Kenny. that that one, I that that that's a scare. God, I, that is that's not one I like off the bat. There, that's tough. Um, we should have I mean, this. The Bellarmine is going to be a very small team. They lost a lot from their team last year that won the ASUN tournament. I, I think that. Bellman's always going to be good because Sky D is one of the best coaches in the country, but they don't have anybody, I think, who's capable to stop our post. So we should be able to just be bigger than them, if nothing else, but we'll see. Uh, Bellman, they're always going to give you the best. I, I want to talk – I want to move real quickly before we do our BC stuff. We have to at least mention the IARP News of the Week with Memphis because it does – it does sort of tangentially affect us, and I think people have been reacting to it, uh, understandably, because you know we are supposed to be next in line. Um, if you didn't catch the news this week, Memphis, which had four level one violations levied against it by the NCA and two level two violations, they got its punishment from the IARP, which was hilariously a five thousand dollar fine. <laughs> not not sure how they're going to to deal with that dent. Um, a uh, probation. 
And then I think it was just vacating the three games that James Wiseman played in a couple of years ago. And that was it. No, nothing else. And this is, again, the uh, a program that was hit with, by the NCAA Committee on Infractions, four level one violations. Now, the IARP looked into this and said, we find no level one violations. We find nothing level one. I think they found like five level twos. And this was the punishment that they doled out. And they, again, reiterated in their, I hate to, sentencing's the wrong word, but in their ruling that we're not looking to punish people that had nothing to do with this. And the interesting thing about this one compared to like NC State and compared to what we're going to see with Louisville eventually is Memphis didn't change his head coach. Like Penny Hardaway is still there. And they still said Penny gets a pass here essentially because his philanthropic efforts with James Wiseman paying for him to move, which I think was like a $5,000 cost. He'd been doing it with kids in the Memphis area from since 2008, since before he'd even been involved with Memphis, uh, the university officially when he was doing AAU stuff, he was helping kids basically like there's a pattern of good behavior on Penny's behalf that shows that this wasn't just because he had the nation's number one recruit and he was giving him money for that reason. So that was interesting to me. The other part of this that has to be talked about is Memphis skates on all this. They walk, even though they gave just about as big a middle finger to the NCAA as you possibly can. One, the NCAA came out and said, James Wiseman's ineligible. You can't play him. And they went to a judge, got a temporary injunction, and played him for two games back-to-back, even though they knew they had been told straight up he was ineligible. Two, they get told by the NCAA, you need to preserve all your computers, preserve all your phones. We're coming to get that stuff. The next day, an assistant coach scrubs the hard drive of his computer, and they're able to be like, dude, we, we can tell that you scrubbed this yesterday. Like, that's, that's on there. Three, the players show up to hand in their phones, their cell phones. Um, they show up to the, the, the team headquarters, the team facilities. The NCAA is waiting. They're like, we need all your phones. Every player on the team except for one says, I don't have my phone. Nothing I can do for you. All of this happens, and Memphis still walks. Now, one, does this make you feel better about Louisville? Are, are you willing to buy into that? Two, who is that player who di- who actually had his cell phone? Was he just a loser that like didn't talk to anybody else? And like they were like, who cares if they get Jimmy's cell phone? Um, and three, I've got a, a follow-up that I want to get after I get your, your thoughts on those first two because it reminds me of something from our college days. But do you feel better about Louisville after seeing what's happened with Memphis? It's impossible not to. Like, it is impossible not I'm to. I'm trying not to. And I'm not trying either, but let me ask you this. If we get a postseason ban, what are you going to break? Is it going to be your TV? Are you going to throw your phone and shatter it? Because something's getting broken if we get a postseason ban at this point. Um, yeah. I, I, like, I, get, I told myself I, I, wasn't I, getting, I wasn't getting my hopes too high, but it's impossible. I get because every UK fan listened to this. Because every UK fan that I think is on Twitter said the same thing to me when I was tweeting about this case earlier this week. But you guys were on probation. Uh, we're fucking aware. We, we know. Right. Every Louisville fan knows what was going on. We know that that's the one difference between our case and everybody else's case. But it was five years ago. If they're saying they're not going to punish people who had nothing to do with it, we've had three different basketball head coaches. We've had three different ADs. We've had like 15 different presidents. We still don't even have a full-time president right now. There's nobody. We have kids on this team who were in seventh grade when this story first broke. It's like... It's the, I think that's what you hold on to as a Louisville fan. And also, like, national people now are now straight up saying, like, I don't think the IRP is going to give postseason bans to anybody. The NCAA is going to institute a rule soon that 
gets rid of the postseason ban, the IRP may be like, you know, why are we going to blame kids for this? Like, why are we taking this? We don't even exist anymore. We've already been disbanded before we can even really live. I think Louisville does get maybe a stricter penalty than Memphis did just because of the, the being on probation deal. But I think that will be scholarship reductions and recruiting restrictions. I, I'm choo- I, I'm trying not to get my hopes up, but man, every piece of evidence points to Louisville not getting nearly the same type of punishment that we thought they were going to get even as recently as like two or three years ago. And I think that the other like part of our big fear, and I think you and I have talked about this on the podcast, was we're an easy target. Like the NCAA, nobody's going to cry for Louisville. Nobody's going to be like, you can't punish. How could you possibly punish Louisville? Like these guys have been doing the right thing for years. Like we're known as like the stripper program, the, the, the stigmatized program. But I think in the last five years, the NCAA has kind of lost its like, – like they have less faith in them than these institutions that are apparently running amok. Like three years ago, everybody was like, you gotta, you got to get rid of Kansas. you got to ban them from the postseason. you got to nuke Arizona. Give Louisville the death penalty. And now I think those same people are like, fuck the NCAA. Like let everybody skate. More Not rival fans, but like the average college sports fan at this point. No, you're 100% right. And – I, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's it's so hard to predict these things because they're so all over the place. Like that. I just, I, I, I try not, like you said, I, I try not to get my hopes up about this, but it's impossible not to. Um, I, I do what I think the fact that Memphis got its punishment um, before us was a little bit weird as well. Um, yeah. But because they're hearing you know, was 10 days after day, us. Yeah, or sorry, yeah, which I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I just I'm uh, I'm totally I'm just ready to get it. Like, just get it over with. Rip the bandaid off. Let me know what it's gonna be, and uh, you know I'll deal with it how I deal with it. But at this point, if we do get a postseason ban, um, I, I said I wasn't gonna be shocked initially, but I will be shocked. The last thing that I want I want to say on this front, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast, but there's been stories about this. Like Louisville is is paying an obscene amount of money to Neil Cattile, who's one of the most famous attorneys in America. He was uh, a part of the Obama White House back when I think from like 2007 to 2011. He's or 2009 to 2011. He like, his rate is absurd, and everybody's like, "Well, they're just trying to get Louisville off from the NCAA." I think this is also kind of a a flex move by Josh Hurd to say, if you do try to fuck us here, if you do, like, if we get hit with a postseason ban and Arizona doesn't somehow, and LSU doesn't somehow, Kansas doesn't somehow, all these schools that, at least in this particular case, were far more in the wrong and for, did uh, far more obvious shit than we did, guess what? We're going to go to court. And the NCAA is like 0 72 in court over the last four years. And we've got this guy who's one of the most prominent attorneys in America, and we've been paying him to work for the last year and a half to prepare for this. So it almost feels like more of a warning than anything else. That Like Josh Hurd is like saying, try to take something else away from us. Because if you do, we're going to take you to court, and not only are we going to get that postseason ban taken away, we're going to get extra banners put back up. You're going to give us the 1997 banner that says Dewan Wheat, if he hadn't hurt his leg, we would have won the national title. We're going to make you give us – all of our wins and more back. We're going to become the winningest program in college basketball. And I like that. I think it's a smart move. So, I mean, Hurd is on the record as saying, like, we're not going to work with you. We're, you know, we'd be stupid to work with the NCAA at this point. Nobody talks. Everybody walks. It's the one thing that I remember from law school. And 
Memphis is a, a perfect testament to that. They fought tooth and nail every step of the way. They outright said, we don't have cell phones. Um, we're the only college kids in America that don't have cell phones. We all just happen to play basketball. And they get nothing as a result of this. Now, what this reminded me of, do you remember freshman year at Dayton when we used to get busted for um, <laughs> we'd get busted for alcohol violations or like visitation violations? Yes, and what, I'm aware. What, yeah, you had like 15 of them. But what we would do, especially after you left, like sophomore year, is like two people would have to take the fall if you got busted, like have with like eight guys like drinking before we we're gonna go out to to parties and stuff. If the RAs came in, two people would be like, "Yeah, this is our place," and they'd give their IDs over. And then they'd ask everybody else, you know, we, I need to see some ID. And we would all just say, I don't have a wallet. Like, I, I left my wallet, like, at home. Like, I, I'm here visiting friends of the weekend. I don't, didn't bring a wallet. And at that point, like, they'd be, you know, what can they do? Like, they're not going to search your pants. They're not going like, to go in depth. Like, if they didn't know who you were, if they didn't know that you went to school there, you could just get away with it. And then we'd all just, like, funnel our money and pay the people who took the fall. But, like, it was – Memphis kind of had that mentality. Like, what are you going to do? Prove that I've got a cell phone. Come to my dorm room. Come to our, our facility. Snoop around for it. You ain't going to find it. And well, it was, that, it's brilliant. That was similar to me. Do you remember when I got – I can't believe I'm airing this out on air. Right <laughs> um, I got a couple just complete bullshit, like, citations that weren't even my fault. Like, you know, someone being loud in my room and there was alcohol in there and – like people saw like one of our buddies' cars, like you know, buy a house down on campus, and this is a joke. People were like pushing it and kicking the tires, and of course, like I got caught and written up for it. So, of course, I got these citations, and I I kind of pulled up Memphis. Remember, they kept like I was like, <laughs> I'm just not going to check my mailbox. And, this is this is going to go away, and I just left my mailbox pretty much full the entire year. Uh, well, guess what? At the, at the end of the school year, uh, my parents got some sort of letter saying I needed to talk to someone um, before I was let back on campus. So, yeah, somehow it does come back around a little bit. But because um, the, the rule at Dayton was like, I think it was like three alcohol violations or visitation violations, and you were supposed to get kicked out of school. And I think you had like five, and so your very mature response was to just not check your mailbox. So we'd walk into our our dorm like hall and like walk right past the mailboxes, and you'd be like, "Looks pretty full today." <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh man, check it out, pretty full in there, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I, yeah, I guess you could say I played for Memphis um, <laughs> Stan. Oh man, yeah, but no, I mean at this point. If for if for whatever reason we do get you know uh, no postseason ban, imagine like the good vibes that'll just go through the athletic program. Imagine like Josh Hurd for you know if if you want to hail him as a hero, fine, but he's going to be looked at as a hero no matter what because he'll be the AD where this finally all ended. So, um, sure. you know, I'm I'm ready for the the verdict. Give it to me, um, and let's roll from there. Here's what I got told this week by somebody who covers college basketball nationally. And they, they, they were trying to do the whole thing. Like, you're not going to get a postseason ban, man. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, I, I'm worried. I don't, I don't care what you say. You, you haven't lived through what I've lived through the last seven years. So stop. Stop right there. And that wasn't with any sort <clears> – <throat> that person wasn't trying to give any sort of, like, inside information there. They were just saying, I don't think anybody's getting a postseason ban now. They also – they did say, though, they had some sort of insight with the timeline with the IARP. Because Memphis, their hearing was 10 days after ours, but they get their ruling before us. 
And he, this person said, I believe you guys are next. And this was on Tuesday. This was after the Memphis ruling came out. He said, I don't think it's going to come this week, but it will be within the next four weeks, which would put it at least before the season. Now, the issue is it could be on like Louisville Live Day, which would suck. <laughs> Although, if the reverse is like, let's imagine for a second, let's be positive. What you just said is true. Let's say like that Thursday or that Friday of Louisville Live, we find out that we're not banned for the postseason. It's a slap on the wrist. We're finally done with this shit. Like Louisville Live becomes this just gigantic celebration of Cardinal basketball. It would be the greatest thing ever. We'd be starting the season off on the best possible foot. Um, but I think everybody else is, is exactly where you are, which is like just regardless of what it is, just 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 give it to us. Just, just let us find out what this is and let's start moving on with our lives. I feel like... Um, you know Stringer Bell when he's it's like like has like Brother Muzone and Omar around him and he's like get on with it then motherfucker like like you know just just do it like whatever yeah. you're going to do just do it yeah like, what we if, can't what say if, anything like, else we didn't get a postseason ban and like as a celebration I ran out and bought a dog and I named him like Iarp and like Kim's like what's that I'm like <laughs> oh it's I I A R P it's like come here Iarp um. Anyways, oh god yeah all right we've 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 talked long enough about this let's get to to boston college tomorrow real quick the only kind of i think summary we can give of this game is i mean bc's been bad they've been way worse than they were supposed to be they can't block anybody their quarterback phil Dracovich, has been hit on i think pressured on 44 percent of his dropbacks which is the highest percent of any quarterback in the fbs they've got no run game they've got one of the best players in the conference in zay flowers but they can't get the ball to him it all starts with their offensive line being bad. Their defensive backs are, are good, but they've still struggled a little bit against better teams uh, so far this year. Um, the loss to Rutgers at the beginning of the season when Rutgers had a bunch of guys out was bad. They got blown out by Florida State last week. Uh, Virginia Tech, who's not been good either, beat them pretty handily in week three. Their only win so far this season is over Maine. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're going. We've been a good team so far this year when it comes to getting into the backfield and making tackles for loss. They've been bad at blocking anybody so my god brian if you don't bring the heat in this game you should be fired at halftime we need to bring pressure constantly make phil Dracovich uncomfortable make them do something with other than beat us with zay flowers on trick plays and then malik against good defensive backs needs to be either killing them with his legs or making plays with his arms if they try to shut that down and our receivers have to be good as well we are. It, it's kind of shocking to me that we are fifteen and a half point favorites in this Very game. Shocking. It's a, that's, that's it's a larger spread than we had last week at home against what was supposed to be a worse opponent in USF. Um, that's kind of my sort of summary of the game here. I, I'll let you go first here. What are your thoughts? What's your prediction for Saturday's game? Noon kickoff on uh, ACC Network. The line is so shocking that I I feel like it's it's trying to trick us into everyone taking Boston College here. Um, so that's why I'm going to go cards pretty big here. I'll say cards win 31, 10. Okay. I like that. Um, I'm actually the opposite. Like last week I felt like everybody was like, there's no way we cover. And I'm like, we're going to cover, we're going to cover easily this week. I don't think we're going to cover. I mean, we, we have not been a great road team under Scott Satterfield. I know we beat UCF already this year, but we've lost eight of our last 11 road games. Um, or I take it back nine of our last 12 road games and, I do think we win, but I think BC still has too much talent. They should be a lot better than they have been. I'm going to say cards win, but it's kind of an ugly, grinded-out type game. I'm going to say 30-20. to 20. We don't cover, but we still have hope going into next week against Virginia. And then if you if, – we'll talk about this on next week's pod, but if you beat Virginia and you're 4-2, and two, you're back to 2-2 two and two in the ACC, 
and you're facing a second half of the schedule that has five, maybe six ranked teams, depending on what James Madison does now, um, you at least feel like you've got a shot. But it has to it has to come with these two wins, and that starts tomorrow. We'll do that. Um, one new review for this week. Um, it's from Out of Context LR, who says, Go Car is the headline. It says, This dude put pretzels on his Mount Rushmore of chips. The sports analysis from Sonard is equally brain dead. Thank you for that review. He gave us five stars, though. That's all that matters. Uh, we appreciate everybody who rates us, uh, who subscribes to the podcast. Again, it's the best way to keep up with when new episodes are released. So subscribe, give us a rating, leave us a review. We'll read it on the air. Feels Thank like so uh, when AC Slater read his radio review on KKTY, <laughs> everyone's like trying to hide it from him. It's like, hey, what'd they say about me? You stink. <laughs> R.I.P. Screech. Yeah. Uh, we love you, Slater. Uh, everybody enjoy this weekend. We'll see you guys next week. Go Cards, beat Boston College. Go Cards.